we held that last note a little beyond my uh, <laughs> lung capacity. <laughs> Have you ever thought something or said something or done something that you later wished with all your might that you could undo or unsay or unthink? If not, you better check your pulse because to be human is to mess up and later to regret it. And consequently, one of our deepest human needs is for forgiveness. It's universal. Even secularists, when they're honest, acknowledge a need for forgiveness. Not long before she died, in a moment of candor during a TV interview, Marganita Lasky, one of Britain's best-known secular humanists and novelists, said, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. And what she apparently didn't know or wouldn't acknowledge was that forgiveness was available to her. She just wouldn't accept it. And forgiveness is available to you too. There may be something in your past that has haunted you for years and years, or there may be something you did just yesterday that now you have a nagging sense of guilt about. What would forgiveness be worth to you? What allegiance would you pledge to someone who could erase all the mistakes of your past with just four words? Your sins are forgiven. Well, there is someone who can do exactly that, of course. Our Lord Jesus offers it to us. We're going to look at an instance where that happened in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. So I invite your attention there with me, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses of that chapter in a healing miracle that Jesus did. And if you're able to stand, I invite you to stand with me as I read God's Word for us. <coughs> the Bible begins in verse 1 of chapter 2, a few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that He had come home. And so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And He preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to Him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get Him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in His spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And He said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Thank you. Please be seated. 
<clears throat> now this takes place in Capernaum, which had become sort of Jesus' home base, a small fishing village on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was where Andrew and Peter were from. And so the house in which this takes place, the, the, the NIV says he was at home, but that probably meant Capernaum. Uh, in, in Mark, it literally says he was in the house. And maybe this was the house of Peter. If you go to Capernaum today, you can see the ruins of a home that they say was Peter's house. It may be, it may not be, but they were all fairly similar. Square homes with um, branches laid over the flat roof, uh, plastered with some mixed mud, maybe tiles. In Luke's telling of this story, he mentions that they removed the tiles to let the, the paralytic down through the roof. And so this is where Jesus was in this house. He was preaching the word, the Bible says, and doing so to a packed house, which is every preacher's dream, when suddenly there was a disruption, which is every preacher's nightmare. And something happened. This situation was that the, the house was full, there was standing room only, even the door was blocked, and so this house was obviously not handicap accessible, if you will. And so these four friends who wanted to bring their paralytic friend to Jesus were stymied. They, they didn't know what to do, so they got creative. Most of the houses, or many of them anyway in those days, had some steps built on the outside of the house so that the homeowner could go up on the roof and lay out uh, foodstuffs to dry in the sun, to dehydrate, if you will. And so these friends climbed up on the roof and lowered the paralytic through. First, you might imagine that some dust particles are seen in the sunbeams streaming through. And then a little more dust and a little more noise. And, and finally everyone notices and looks up and, and they see the roof being removed and some hands coming through and then some faces. And finally a man coming through on a mat, lowered down in front of Jesus. And he was brought there by these friends. They were true friends, weren't they? To do this for him, they were friends indeed. And true friends are still willing to do whatever it takes to bring their friends, their family, their loved ones to Jesus. They were willing to do whatever it took. They weren't afraid of embarrassment to have everyone look at them and wonder what in the world are they doing tearing the roof off of this house. They weren't afraid of the cost. They knew someone was going to have to pay for fixing that roof. They weren't afraid of any of that. None of that stopped them. They were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. And if we're going to bring people to Jesus, we're going to have to do the same thing. We're going to have to be unembarrassed, if you will, to share our faith. We're going to have to be willing to bear the cost, whatever it may be, to reach out. We're going to have to be able to, to go through whatever uh, changes, whatever 
adaptations, whatever steps we have to take to get our friends, our families, our co-workers, our fellow students, our fellow citizens to Jesus. Because only Jesus can help. They did what they did because not only were they true friends, they had a true faith. Faith that Jesus could help. I wonder sometimes whether the reason we don't bring more of our friends and family to Jesus is that we're not really sure that Jesus can change their lives. Our faith is weak. Do we really believe what we proclaim? If we did, wouldn't we be willing, like these friends, to do whatever it took to get them to Jesus? They had a true faith, and it was a faith that was evident. Jesus saw it, it says in verse 2. Jesus saw their faith. Now this account is, is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in all three accounts it says Jesus saw their faith. Now I wonder, which of them had faith first? Did this paralytic believe that Jesus could help him and beg these friends to take him to Jesus? Or... Did these friends have to persuade the paralytic to let them take him to Jesus? More likely the latter than the former because it does say Jesus saw their faith, plural. These friends aren't named in this text. Maybe that's for a reason. I had a former pastor who speculated about what the event might have looked like, what might have taken place to get this man to Jesus. It's a little anachronistic, but, but it makes a good point. I mean, maybe the first friend came to him, and that friend said, uh, you know, I had leprosy. I was unclean, and Jesus touched me. He healed me. I'm clean now. Come on, let's go to Jesus. And the paralytic protesting, saying, well, I know, but... You don't understand. I'm paralyzed. And then another friend comes and says, Well, I was deaf, but Jesus touched me and He opened my ears and now I can hear. Come on, let's go to Jesus. And the paralytic protests, I, I know, but you don't understand. I'm paralyzed. And a third friend comes and says, You know, they used to call me blind, Bartimaeus, but they don't do that anymore because Jesus touched my eyes and now I can see. Come on, let's go to Jesus. Paralytic says, well, I understand, but you don't understand. I'm paralyzed. And the fourth friend finally comes and says, listen, you know what Jesus did for me. And the paralytic thinks for a minute and he says, you know what, you've got a point, Lazarus. Let's go. Let's go. Their faith was strong and there is a forgiveness that follows behind it. Jesus does the unexpected. He saw their faith in verse 2, but He didn't say what He had said to others, like the woman with the hemorrhage in Matthew 9, or blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10, or, or the leper in Luke 17. To all of those He said, Your faith has saved you meaning your faith has made you whole, made you well, restored you. Now healing and forgiveness are related concepts in the Old Testament to be sure, but something tells me 
that's not quite what the paralytic was hoping to hear from Jesus. Obviously, he wanted to be healed. But Jesus always prioritizes the spiritual over the physical. The spiritual always takes precedence over the physical. The paralytic may not have known it at the time, but he'd received something far more significant, far more powerful and lasting than what he had hoped for. Why was this of more importance than a physical healing? Well, his physical problems, like all of our physical problems, are essentially temporary. They only last in this life. They don't follow us into the next. But a lack of forgiveness, unforgiveness, is eternal. It does follow us into the next life. It can be eternally terrible, eternally separating from the goodness that God is and that God gives. And so Jesus prioritized forgiveness over the healing. In essence, Jesus had commuted this man's sentence, and he didn't realize it. He had done something for this man that was amazing in his forgiveness. And forgiveness has power. Forgiveness has the power to change lives in radical kinds of ways. You may know the name Mitsuo Fuchida. He was the Japanese military pilot who led the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor in December of 1941. In fact, he was the one who radioed back, Tora, 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 meaning we have gained surprise. We have surprised the enemy. They made a movie with that title. And he fought in others of the major engagements of the Pacific War in World War II, Lady Golf and uh, the Marianas Turkey Shoot and the Marshall Island Midway, all of those things. And he was a warmonger. He admired Adolf Hitler. He even wore his hair like Adolf Hitler and had a little funny mustache like Adolf Hitler. But when the Japanese were defeated, Fuchida became disillusioned. Not just because they had lost, but because he was surprised to learn that Japanese prisoners of war were treated humanely, which was in sharp contrast to the way the Japanese had treated allied prisoners of war, who were tortured and, and, and bedeviled and murdered even. He also learned about a young woman named Peggy Covell who had ministered to those Japanese prisoners. Now, Peggy Covell had parents who had been missionaries to Japan, and they had been beheaded by the Japanese as martyrs in the Philippines. And yet, Miss Covell had forgiven them and ministered to the needs of their captured soldiers. And that, that was a disconnect in Fuchita's mind, obviously. It was her example of forgiveness that led him to try to figure out how she could do that. And he started reading the Bible, and eventually he came to faith in Christ. And not only that, he eventually became an evangelist. Before he died in 1976, he led multitudes of people to Christ through his preaching in Japan and in the United States. But the transformation of his life and the fruit that he bore for Christ all began 
with the daughter of martyred missionaries being able to forgive others because of the forgiveness she herself had received from God. Because she knew she had been forgiven, she was able in grace to extend that forgiveness to others, even those who had killed her parents. It's been my observation in life that the only ones who have the power to forgive are those who have themselves experienced forgiveness, who have recognized the extent to which God has gone to forgive them of their sins. That gives them the power to forgive others. Faith in Christ not only allows us to be forgiven, it gives us the power to forgive others. And if you've never experienced the forgiveness that empowers you to forgive others, you can experience it today. In fact, you may need to experience it today. If you're one that carries grudges and harbors bitterness and, and anger over the things that people may say or do to you, if you find yourself unable to forgive them for that, then it may well be because you haven't experienced and recognized the forgiveness that God has given you. When you're forgiven of murder, it's easy to forgive someone for taking the stapler away from the copy machine or little things like that. To do it, though, you have to have faith. You have to have faith in the only one who can offer complete, eternal, utter, ultimate forgiveness. And that one, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus has authority to forgive sins on earth. We find that out in this text. He demonstrated His authority to do it by healing this paralytic. Now when He said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, the scribes and the religious leaders who were present started to think, well, who does He think He is? He's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. Well, they were right about that. Only God can forgive sins. But what they didn't know was that God in the flesh was standing there right in front of them in the person of Jesus Christ. He did have authority to forgive sins. He does have authority to forgive sins. And Jesus was going to show them that. Because all sin is ultimately sin against God. And the one who is wronged is the only one who really can forgive. Uh, the late Adrian Rogers told a, used a little thing to illustrate how that works. Now, he used some people in his congregation, but uh, I'll, I'll transpose it to us and say, uh, suppose that Brother John Cardwell over here comes up and punches me in the nose. And then a little later he starts to think, well, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have punched the pastor in the nose. But then Gene Elliott comes along and says, John, you're forgiven for punching the pastor in the nose. Now wait a minute, I'm the one that John punched in the nose, why is Gene forgiving him? But then John says back to Gene, well Gene, I don't need your forgiveness because I've forgiven myself. A popular thing to do these days. Well hold on just a minute, I'm the one who got punched. The only one who can forgive the puncher is the punchee. 
I'm the one who got smacked in the snoot, so I'm the guy that has to forgive him. So, we are not truly or fully forgiven until we experience God's forgiveness. We could try to forgive ourselves all day long. But until we experience God's forgiveness, we're not truly forgiven. Because all sin is ultimately sin against God. You remember the prodigal son we talked about last week. When he returned to the father, he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Heaven, a metaphor for God. All sin is sin against God. And so Jesus, in order to demonstrate his authority to forgive, asks these scribes a question. Which is easier? Which is easier to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Now the scribes thought it was easy to say, your sins are forgiven, because after all, who's going to know for sure? But it would have been hard to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk, because everyone there would know if that worked or not. So Jesus did what they thought was the hard thing by healing this man's paralysis, so that they would know he had authority to do what they thought was the easy thing, and that is forgive his sins. Jesus healed the paralytic to demonstrate his authority. And what gives him the authority to forgive sins is not just the fact that he is God in the flesh, but also because he is the one who pays for those sins on the cross. He's the one who bears the penalty. For those sins. Because God is just. And because God is just, He can't let sin go unpunished and still be just. So He becomes not only the justifier, but the one justified. He, he does it all on our behalf. Jesus Christ goes to the cross. In order to forgive us, God had to take that punishment on Himself. For God to forgive us, He had to bear the loss of His Son on the cross. He paid the price. Though it was unimaginably high, He paid it because of His love for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why God did it. So now that you have come to an awareness of that, how have you responded to the sacrifice that saves your life, that saves your eternity? How are you using that in the way you live, in the way you treat others, the way you forgive others? There's a story, probably just a story, I don't know, it could be true, about a young lieutenant in World War II whose unit was ambushed by the Nazis, and almost all of them escaped into the safety of a farmhouse. But that night they heard the moans and the cries of one of their wounded outside. And so the young lieutenant did the heroic thing. He went out under cover of darkness and he, he dragged the wounded soldier back to safety. But just as he was getting in, a, a, a bullet from the enemy hit him straight in the head and killed the young lieutenant. Well, about a year later, the soldier he had saved was back in the United States, and the young lieutenant's parents asked to be able to meet him. 
And on the appointed night, the soldier came to meet the mother and father of the man who had died to save him. But when he arrived at the house where they lived, it was obvious to these parents that the young soldier was drunk. Not only was he drunk, through the meal he was loud, obnoxious, profane, even obscene. And at the end of the meal, he actually threw up. And when the soldier finally left and and the mother and father had closed the door behind him, the mother slumped against the wall and, and said, To think that our beloved son had to die for somebody like that. And it makes me wonder how often the angels of heaven look down on our behavior and say to God, to think that our beloved son had to die for somebody like that. We owe him better. If we've received the forgiveness that only he offers, we owe him better than that. I asked you earlier, what would forgiveness be worth to you? The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. So we are all under sentence of death because of our sin. What would forgiveness be worth to you? Well, forgiveness is worth whatever it takes. Jesus thought so. That's why He went to the cross for us. These friends thought so. That's why they broke through the roof, if you will. What are you going to have to break through to find forgiveness and life? Pride, perhaps? An unwillingness, maybe, to admit that you are a sinner and you need forgiveness as much as all the rest of us do? Whatever you do, don't let anything stand between you and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. And once you've received that, be the kind of friend who is willing to do whatever it takes to bring your friends to Jesus. Pray with me. God, we confess that we have broken our relationship with you by our sins, by our rebellion, by our selfishness, by our anger. But God, I pray that we might experience the forgiveness that only you can give through Jesus Christ, by faith, by trusting in Him and His sacrifice on our behalf. And once we do, God, may we live each day in the awareness of how good you've been to us, how much you've forgiven us. Because when we do, we'll be able to forgive others of all the things that they do to us. And I pray, God, that we might be faithful and true friends to reach out, to do whatever it takes to bring our friends, our family, our loved ones to Jesus. All for your glory and your praise, we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen.